The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. On June 6th, 1994, a couple is driving along the Sierra Nevada mountain range when they spot a naked woman lying on the side of the road. They immediately drive to report it to police, but once police arrived, they find something far more mysterious that just defies explanation. You're listening to the Mysterious Brews podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Christine Skubish and the Highway 50 Phantom. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, very wet and thunderous basement the last couple of days. We've had some storms roll through here, lost a tree limb. So uh, it's been a little interesting here lately with these summertime thunderstorms. But growing up in the south, this is what I was used to in August. Don't plan nothing after 3 (laughs) o'clock. I'm telling you, I don't get out. I don't get out much. It's too damn hot. It's just, it's, it's not, it's not right how hot it is. Uh, And when they say, when they say in the South, it's not the heat, it's the humidity. They're, they're right. You, I promise you somebody that lives in Las Vegas, that's used to a hundred degree temperature in that dry ass air that has never been to Georgia would die. On a 90-degree day with 90% humidity. It is miserable. We went to a family reunion on my wife's side of the family. A couple, well, it's probably been more than a couple, probably 10 years ago now. And it was going to reach up to like 93. They was all griping about the heat. And I was like, this is nothing. There is a, it's up in Indiana, so there's constant breeze. I'm like, I would die for this. 93 with a constant breeze? Come on, come on. Let me take you down there where there is no breeze and it's 78 to 89% humidity. That's terrible. I don't understand it. Like 50 years from now, there's not going to be a soul living in the South. They're just not. Well, the only reason the South populated is because somebody invented air conditioning. <laughs> That's true about the West, Southwest, but God, I don't see how people do it. I don't either, man. So no new patrons this week, but we did have a shout out on Instagram from you underscore heard underscore it underscore from Angela. There's an underscore in between from and Angela if I missed one. But anyway, she said, (laughs) (laughs) 
She said, hey, you guys, if you love true crime and like listening to podcasts, you have to listen to these guys. Triple exclamation point. Arlo and Coach are great at telling the stories and keeping you entertained with their funny banter. I definitely recommend everyone give them a listen. You won't regret it. Triple exclamation point. So thank you to You Heard pretty It From nice. Angela. Pretty, pretty nice. Don't, my, don't matter my over. I'm smoking these filterless palm oils. <laughs> oh, man. But anyway. All right. So this one we were going to do as a twofer, but I think she gets her own. It's weird how, like, we love unsolved mysteries so much, but somehow some of the some of the most crazy, mysterious cases just slip under the radar. Yeah, they do. It's I had not this one, and then next week's is going to be one that we had never heard of. And then you sent me both of it. Well, you sent me a video like TikTok, I think, on next week's, but. There's not a whole lot out there about Christine's upbringing, where she was originally from, where, you know, so I did my best. That's all I can tell you. Did my best. All we can ask of you. That's right. So Placerville, California is located on Highway 50, a remote highway that connects Lake Tahoe to Sacramento, California. It winds tightly through the foothills of the Sierra Mountains. On June 6, 1994, Christine Scubish and her three-and-a-half-year-old son, Nick, said goodbye to her parents. They were leaving Placerville and headed 600 miles south, where Christine would be starting a new job as a paralegal in Sacramento. I'm sorry, not in Sacramento. Southern California. The energetic 24-year-old dreamed of going to law school, and this was an amazing opportunity for her. She and her son ventured down Highway 50, setting their sights on a new chapter in the SoCal. Christine guaranteed her parents that she would call them in a couple of days to let them know she'd arrived. Unfortunately, that day, that day never came. In fact, they received a telephone call on Wednesday, June 8th, from one of her friends who said she had expected Christine to arrive in town on Monday, but it was now Wednesday morning and she had not seen or heard from Christine. Her mother and stepfather called the area hospitals but came up empty-handed. They contacted the local sheriff's department to file a missing persons report. They were told that she'd most likely show up and not to worry about it. Having the parental intuition on their side, they decided that they were going to start printing flowers and they started canvassing the area asking if anyone had seen Christine and Nick. No one had. Did you say flowers? Flyers. Flyers. Flowers. Flyers. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when they contact the sheriff's department and file that missing persons report. They were told that she'd most likely show up and not to worry about it. And that was your typical MO for mid to late nineties. You know, we got to wait 48 hours or 72 hours or whatever, whatever, whatever. But that's the way it goes. So her stepfather, Dave Dalsenbach would state, quote, I was desperate to find her along with my wife. 
At the time, she kept. At the time, kept. Dang, I can't get this one out. As the time kept ticking on, we started getting more worried. We knew that something had happened, but we didn't know what, end quote. Four days would pass before El Dorado Sheriff's Department made the case a priority. The detective assigned to the case, one Deputy Rich Strasser, followed up with 24-hour gas stations in the area to see if Christine may have stopped on her way out of town. He took a flyer from her parents with him. He hoped that someone had seen Christine and or Nick. His efforts did pay off, and he spoke to one clerk who remembered seeing Christine the night of June 6th. Now, this clerk told the deputy that Christine had Nick with her, and he described Christine's car. He said that him and Christine made small talk as she purchased a couple of sodas. She told him she was very tired and that she was making the trek through the winding mountains to get to Southern California to see a friend. Now, approximately 45 miles west of Placerville, Deborah Hoyt and her husband were visiting family in Sacramento. She awoke in the early hours of Saturday morning with an urgency to head home. Quote, I felt like there was something pulling me up the mountain, end quote. She woke her husband, told him they needed to leave immediately. He tries to talk her into not leaving until it's actually daylight, but she insists that they have to pack up now and they've got to go. Now, Deborah admitted that she did not like traveling on Highway 50 at night, but she could not shake the feeling that she had to head home at once. Deborah and her husband make their way up through twisty Highway 50, and they would sing to each other to keep each other awake. As they approached a particularly dangerous stretch of Highway 50 called Bullion Bend, a shocking sight caught Deborah's attention. Quote, I saw a naked lady lying on the side of the road. Her face was towards me on her side. Her knees were slightly bent, and she had one arm underneath her head and one arm on her head. End quote. See, I just don't understand how you don't stop. Well, that's where I think she kind of kicks herself. The husband wants to pull over and Deborah's like, Nope, no, 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 no. You can't pull over because she thought that it was a joke. And if they stop, someone would steal their car or someone would scare them or rob them or kill them or whatever. Basically she just said, keep driving until they saw a payphone, And that dates the story because yes, there were payphones out in the middle of nowhere. Now they stopped at a ranger station and Deborah would call 911. She respo- uh, responded. She reported the outrageous scene, and the police told her to wait in the car with their doors locked until they arrived. Soon, two police cars arrive. She explains what she had seen. Unfortunately, there were no landmarks to zero in on the specific area she had seen this, so the cops tell her and her husband that they can follow along, but they need to stay 200 yards behind them. Now, a search of the area was done with spotlights, but... The authorities came up empty-handed. Deborah would wonder if they even believed her, but she insists she saw a naked woman lying on the side of the road. Now, Deputy Strasser was at the station when the officers who responded to Deborah's call returned from their search. They discussed whether or not Deborah imagined what she had seen or if someone might be playing a prank on motorists going by. According to Deputy Strasser, 
The officers ultimately believed Deborah saw something, but they were unable to find anything to back up her claims. So when Deborah arrives home, she tried to put the image out of her mind and go to sleep. However, the image of the pale woman lying lifelessly on the road kept popping into her head all night long. Now, Deputy Strasser began to wonder if there might be a connection between the naked woman that Deborah saw and Christine Skubish's disappearance. Quote, I just had a sixth sense. I thought, I'm going to go up into that area and search myself, end quote. So the deputy drives up to Bullion Bend at sunrise, and he was looking for anything out of the ordinary, anything unusual, debris, skid marks, any of that stuff. So he pulls over on the shoulder of the road, parks, and he starts walking along the highway when he soon spots a child's tennis shoe. He made his way into the pine trees to see what was just past where the tennis shoe was lying. He was shocked to discover a red car resting at the bottom of a 40-foot ravine. Cursory glances. That's insane. and cannot be a coincidence. No, it cannot be a coincidence. It just can't be. And we did a uh, store, like a microbrew on a lady that her car went into a river. And, uh, yes. And they got her on, uh, da- uh, what's the camera called that they wear? The, like the, oh, body cam. Duh. They got her audio on body cam of her screaming for help. And she was dead. Yep. And this one kind of eerily matches this, that story. So anyway, he looks down, he sees this mangled red car. And from what he can tell, it matches enough that he believes it's Christine's vehicle. So he climbs down the embankment and notices a trail of debris. The roof of the car had been sheared off by low-hanging branches, and as he approached the wreckage, he saw a woman sitting behind the steering wheel. He reaches in and feels for a pulse, but it was clear she was deceased. A small boy lay in the passenger seat. He was naked and curled up in the fetal position. Now, the deputy states that he did not feel a pulse at first, but he believed the little boy was dead until he sees the boy's chest rise as if he took a breath. Quote, I thought my mind was playing tricks on me. I thought I was seeing things. I got down close and I could feel shallow breaths, end quote. So Deputy Strasser gets on the radio, calls for an ambulance. Nick was suffering from dehydration and hypothermia. He had survived five hot days and five frigid nights in the wilderness. And according to his doctor, he was only about an hour away from passing to the other side. Now, Deborah Hoyt's mother called her and told her the news about Christine and Nick being located on along Bullion Bend. When Deborah saw the photo of Christine, she knew immediately that that was the same woman she had seen lying on the side of the road. Quote, she had the same soft face, and if you could imagine her eyes closed, that would have been her, end quote. Now, Deputy Strasser would state, quote, the coroner's report indicated that Christine's death was immediate and that she died on impact. Christine Scootbish never took off her clothes, never climbed up the hill, never lied on the side of the road, never went back down and got redressed and put herself back in the car. None of that happened. She was lying dead in that car for five days before Deborah Hoyt ever saw anybody on the side of the road. End quote. 
although Nick at the time was three and a half years old, people have reached out to him recently, and he remembers the drop of the car down the ravine. He said the car hit tree after tree as it tumbled down the hill, and when he woke up, he thought that his mom was just sleeping, lit, rested up against oh, the steering wheel. That's terrible. Yeah. And then imagine five days and five nights of you, like, trying to communicate with her, and she just won't, quote, unquote, wake up. That is awful. Now, Poor kiddo, man. I know. The fact that he's not cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs is a testament to his mental capacity. Now, he does remember as an azul, azul, Jesus. He does remember as an adult now some strange things that happened during his time in the car. Quote, I remember seeing lights. I just remember that there was something there, something right next to the car the entire time, right next to my mom. Through the back window of the car itself, I could see the same thing next to the road. It had a silhouette. There were not specific features, but I saw a lot, an outline of a body. I didn't feel afraid of what I saw, end quote. Now, Nick make no, makes no bones about it. He believes that that was an angel and that that angel protected him while he was stranded in that car. Quote, whether it was God's hand or just a mother looking after her son, I honestly don't know, but it was something greater than me, greater than anything I've ever believed, end quote. Now, the authorities presume that Christine fell asleep behind the wheel that June evening when asked if he thought the discovery of Christine and Nick was a miracle. Deputy Strasser stated, quote, yes, I think it is a miracle. It's a whole series of events that I can't explain. I've often thought about it. I just don't have the answers, end quote. Now, this story was featured on Unsolved Mysteries Season 9, Episode 16, and then again on the show Haunted Highway, and I can't remember the name of that one, that episode. Now, the Haunted Highway episode gets some flack for taking some, quote, creative liberties about a portion of the story that we have not talked about. And that is the dream of one Karen Nichols. And that is heavily played in that episode of Haunted Highway. Now, Karen Nichols was Christine's aunt. And on the episode of Haunted Highway, Karen calls Christine's stepfather, Dave Stoltzenbach, and recounts a strange dream that included Christine and Nick, as well as the number 16 repeated over and over. Now, Karen would tell Chris Putnam of newswithview.com that the TV version is mostly fiction, but the number 16 was not, I'm sorry, because the number 16 was not part of her dream. Somehow the details of her dream got mixed up with some other details, and the show presented a falsehood. Now, this may be due to the fact that Karen refused to participate in either the Haunted Highway episode, the Unsolved Mysteries, or another episode called Paranormal Witness. Even though all of them offered her money to come on, she declined. She said that she is a born-again Christian who felt it was wrong to sensationalize the tragedy, and she would tell Chris Putnam, quote, I declined their offer because I didn't see how this could in any way glorify the church. I didn't feel it in my spirit, end quote. 
Now, the show did get some things correct. For example, on the show, Christine's stepfather, Stolzenbach, commented concerning Karen's dream, quote, she had premonitions before, but this was so real, she knew that she was going to find him, end quote. Now, this is true, according to Karen, because Karen, again, has written to Chris Putnam about her having this lifelong experience with premonitions, visions, and precognitive dreams. In fact, she once warned a relative concerning cancer weeks before it was diagnosed and accurately predicted another close family's demise. Now, according to Karen, these dreams and premonitions are not something that she tries to seek out. They just happen to her unexpectedly. She states that she repented from occult involvement by dedicating her life to Christ many years ago. So she has documented the dreams, and we're going to go over those now because it's pretty interesting. Now, this is Karen's account of the first dream she had on the night of the accident. So this is her talking. Monday morning about 3 a.m., June 6, 1994, I had a dream of riding in the back seat of a car at night. I could see the silhouette of a child in the passenger seat and a girl driving. I could see the reflection of the headlights and the hood of the car. I could tell we're on a dark road because there were no street lights, and outside it seemed to be mountainous. That morning, I spoke to my mother and my sister and asked if they had heard from Chrissy. They said no, but I knew she was going to stop by a friend's house in Carson City, Nevada. So even though I felt a bit uneasy, I continued to push it out of my mind and told myself everything was okay. Now, her and Chris kind of theorized that this first dream probably occurred at the time of the accident or shortly after. What's interesting is it seems to transport Karen into the car with Christine and Nick. And the setting is correct. 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 It was a dark mountain road. Boy, I'm just killing it tonight. You are, but man, that's that's some strange stuff. Oh, it gets wacky. How do you, how do you I just I don't know, man. How do you explain that? It's a mystery. Well, I mean, plain and simple. It is a mystery, but I the more we research this stuff, man, I think there's people out there that can t- tap into things that we're all capable of, but we just don't know how to access. You know, I don't now. I don't think they're like Dion Warwick's psychic network. I think they should all rot in hell. But I do think that some of these people do have these precognitive dreams, and they they can't put a you know like she couldn't tell it was her her uh, niece and and cousin or whatever. But she could definitely tell she was in the backseat of a car, in the mountainous road, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I think there is something to it. So that morning, Karen calls her sister Brenda and asks if she had heard from Christine. The answer was still no. Following night and into Tuesday morning, Karen had another dream. This is her speaking again. That night when I went to sleep, I had the same dream exactly as the night before, and I repeated the same activities as the day before. I called to check on Christine with the same disappointing result. It was now Tuesday, June 7th, and my concern grew stronger, and I felt very anxious. My heart felt heavy, and I had a sick feeling in my stomach. I knew that something was very wrong. It's been scientifically proven that gut feelings are like something you shouldn't ignore. Like They've been proven that if you've got a bad feeling about something – or you think a situation is wrong, or you don't think this per- a person is 
on the up and up. It's been proven that that can be very true. Like and trust it, your instinct. Yeah, it's what, it's try, what I'm trying to say. There's starting to be a lot of studies between the mind health and the gut health, and being able to get those both. If you get the gut health right, you're going your mind, your anxiety and stuff's going to get better. If you can get your mind right, your gut health's going to get better. So there's a huge tie there too. I believe it. Oh, I do too, man. I, I believe 100%. So with no word from Christine on Tuesday, Karen was distraught. The character of the third dream might reflect her mental state, but the content suggests the supernatural. The spirit of Christine was contacting Karen in her dreams in order to save Nick, who was still in the woods. So Karen's third dream, like I said, is a lot more disturbing. Now, keep in mind that Karen calls Christine her sister because they were so close in age, but technically Christine or uh, Karen is Christine's aunt. So that, again, this is her speaking. That night I had another dream that was different from the other two. This dream was more of a catastrophic nature. It was in my sister's house, which would have been Christine, and there was a horrible wind. This wind had so much force that the trees were completely bent in half. I was standing in front of the window and looking out into the yard. It was a big yard, as my sister lived on 16 acres with many tall pine trees. It was nighttime. All of a sudden, the wind increased to hurricane-like winds. I could hear the sound of glass breaking and popping and metal scraping. I could see sparks. I looked over in the yard, and I could see Nikki standing in the middle of the yard. I also saw my sister trying to get to him. There was so much debris blowing around and glass shattering and metal that looked like it was curled up. I was trying to help my sister, but I couldn't find my shoes. I was barefooted, and I knew I wouldn't be able to make it to her because of all the glass that was on the ground. I finally found them, and when I opened the door, the wind stopped. I ran to her, and she was just standing there with Nikki. Nervously, I was laughing, and I turned towards her and asked if she was all right. When I looked in her eyes, they were blank, and there was no life in them. Her face was inexpressive. She looked like she was in a trance because she didn't look at me, but through me. I asked if she was okay, and she said no. I said, are you going to be okay? She looked at me with very haunting eyes with a melancholy expression and again said no. So that one is a lot darker. So it's almost like she's witnessing the crash as, or I guess one of those like remote viewing of the crashes. Yeah. Now this dream seems to meet the definition of what experts call an after death communication because Christine is telling Karen that she, Christine is deceased, but that Nick needs help. Now this would have been early on Wednesday morning, June 8th, 1994, and nobody had any evidence about a car accident. However, Karen was absolutely sure that something was amiss. So this is her speaking again. At this point, I woke up to hear a loud screaming sound and pounding like a loud bang. I sat up. My heart was racing. I could hear the sound of my heart beating. It was hard to breathe. It felt like some, someone hit me hard in the pit of my stomach. It felt like all the blood had rushed to my head. It was brutal. It was kind of a dream that shakes you to the very core and it wasn't going to go away. There was no shaking this dream. This was probably about the same time of night as the other two dreams I had previously had. Now, this is Wednesday, June 8th. I couldn't go back to sleep. I got ready for work and still my gut hurt. 
My heart felt heavy. My chest felt tight. My head felt swollen. I felt completely out of sorts. When I got to work, it was really hard to concentrate concentrate on my work. I told my coworker about the dream and how I couldn't shake it. I kept having a chill that ran down my back. I made it through the day, but I felt really tired. When I got home, my daughter asked, Mom, did you hear that Chrissy is missing? I said, no, I hadn't heard, but I flippantly said, Chris isn't missing. How can you miss Chris? She was too loud to miss. As I said that, I took a couple of steps and stopped dead in my tracks. I knew that this was it. Chrissy was supposed to have arrived today, and I still hadn't heard from her. So that dream occurs on the morning of Wednesday, June 8th, and it was the evening of June 8th when Deputy Strasser gets the missing persons report. So Thursday came and went, and there was no new developments. Karen was convinced, though, that her entire immediate family should be scouring the roadside, but she didn't have a car. She asked her husband to rent one. So this, again, is her speaking. Quote, I was trying to convince my family that if she had been in a wreck, there was a good possibility that Nikki could have survived. I could feel him. I could feel that he was alive. I didn't feel Chrissy, but I felt Nick. But still, no one would help. My sister did make flyers and hand them out and post them with a picture of Chris. Increasingly concerned, the family printed up flyers and began distributing the flyers along Highway 50. Karen, who lived 500 miles away, was finally able to rent a car in order to start searching the roadside with her husband. Man, I can't imagine having all these dreams and then not having a way to get up there and search where they think she went missing. It would drive me You'd have to commit me. And, yeah, absolutely terrible. Now, to know in your heart that something is dead wrong. Yeah. And you just can't make it up there. So she goes on to describe the search. On Friday, June 10th, I knew the window of opportunity was closing for Nikki. I was desperate. The car rental company called to tell me that the car we were to pick up had been returned vandalized and we would have to wait another on another car to come in. Well, it finally came in, and by the time we picked up the car, it was around 8 to 9 p.m. We had about a seven-hour drive ahead of us, so on our way, we stopped and bought a spotlight so that we could be able to see if we arrived before the sun up. As we left on our journey, I was praying and continued to pray all the way. We were probably about two hours into the drive, and I just couldn't find the words to pray. Then there was a groaning in my spirit, and I began to hear an utterance that I couldn't understand. I believe it was the Holy Spirit. I began to hear a man's voice. It was dynamic and forceful, and he was praying. He was demanding and he was rebuking. Even though it was strange, I understood every word. He was covering Chrissy and Nick with the flood and the blood of Jesus. He was sending God's angels to surround them. It sounded like heaven was being called down with all the glory and love and protection. I do not believe I've ever experienced such a power before. I felt like I was enveloped in peace and warmth. I heard this for what seemed the entire trip, but then at one point I couldn't feel Nikki any longer told my husband he could slow down. It was over. Nikki was gone. I could no longer feel him. Now, that last one is described on the Putnam guy's website as a mystical experience or a spiritual warfare experience. And he goes on to state that enveloped in power, Karen heard a male voice commanding angels to protect Christine and Nick. However, then something happened and Nick dropped off the radar. 
did Nick lose his grip on the world for a brief time? And when Deputy Strasser got to him, it kind of revitalized him just enough that Strasser could get him out of there, possibly. But a lot of people state that since she couldn't feel Nick, it was the fact that the deputy had arrived and found him alive, so therefore she didn't have to worry about it anymore. That's Either, a good way of looking at it. Yeah, and that's I think that's the way I would have to choose to look at it if I was in her shoes and had these crazy dreams, is that I no longer needed to feel Nick because he was safe. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is the case of Christine Scoobish, and it is a wild one. But there's got to be something to the body, man. Like that's let's look at it as a practical thing. Do you think that for any reason there's going to be a naked body on the road? No, and I think it's and like that lady said. I think that was I don't know the way the story reads. The husband saw it too. Yeah. So did she? That's just, what I thought. Did she just? I thought that's how it was reported on. Um, Unsolved Mysteries, right? Yeah. So my thing is, it's almost, and I, this sounds hokey, but this is the only example I can come up with. It's almost like in the movie Ghost when Patrick Swayze realizes that he can zap, he can thump that guy. Yeah. Is she given, is that all the energy she had left before she crossed over that, she, you know, she tried that one last thing. If I just, if I, if someone sees a naked lady on the road, they'll stop. And then when they get out, I won't be there, but they'll look and see where I may have run off to. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me because we can't just imagine that somehow there was a, a real naked lady on the road. And by the time, I mean, what if she, yeah, I mean, what, what if she was a, just drunk, passed out or something? And by the time the cops got there, she had recovered and ran off or whatever. Well, you're I probably, mean, you, gotta think, you have to think about it in a practical oh, way. Oh, no, no, no. I agree. But you're looking at, I would say, tops 45 minutes from the time she's seen to the time they get to the phone to the time the deputies get there and they get back to the scene. Or the stretch of highway because she said there was no distinguishing mark or uh, landmarks. So my thing is, now it wouldn't be the la you know the first time there was a naked hippie on the side of the road in California, but... <laughs> it's not unheard of. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't lose me at any point. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I really do think that that was her spirit. And I also think, you know, with him being three and a half and being able to remember, you know, semi-human type figures, but a glowing next to the car and behind the car. I mean, for him to survive, and it's it's that... I wonder if he got naked because he got hot and then didn't realize to put his clothes back on. I mean, we're talking about the mind of a three and a half year old. So them finding him they naked. Found him, they, found him, they found him naked. Is that what you're saying? Yes. He was naked in the past. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Deputy Strasser had actually just figured if that lady had died, then the kid, there's no way the kid was. And then that's when he didn't even look for a, or he didn't even feel for a pulse. He just happened to glance down and saw his chest rise just a little bit and then stuck his finger under his little nose and felt a very faint breath. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean. Well, I knew all that. Yeah, it's, but yeah, he was naked. So now, does that correlate? <laughs> I don't know. It's actually just, 
mind boggling at all the probabilities and at this point you could not you could come up with some crazy harebrained idea and I probably still would have believed it. But I do believe that she protected her son from beyond. Kind of like that other story that we did with the lady in the, cause she had drowned upside down and there would have been no yeah. way she would have been able to scream, but you can clearly hear someone screaming on that body cam footage. Yeah. And they said she had been dead for probably 30 minutes. I thought it was longer than that. Hey, we have to go back and read. Re- revisit it, but shoot, I couldn't tell you what episode, how to find it on the... Oh, I couldn't either. <laughs> we got too many. We got too many. We're, cro- we're cro- croaching on that old 200 mark. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we've kind of beat around the bush. I don't have a real solid theory other than the fact that she looked after her kid. She probably did something from beyond our realm of existence. Whether you believe in God or not, somebody protected that little three and a half year old boy for five days and five nights. So, I mean, that's you're not going to convince me otherwise. But anyway, so uh, any parting words of wisdom? Uh, no. Well, you got know, a, man. You got a recommendation? Um, recommend unsolved mysteries on uh. The YouTube, much easier to fast forward through the lost loves and all that stuff when it doesn't. <laughs> I skip over all that mess. If it's not, I don't care that you lost a friend in 1955 and you'd like to find them again. That I really, I don't know. I'm not here for the love stories. I'm here for the mysteries. It's called Unsolved <laughs> Mysteries for a reason. Yeah, well, so the, uns- the unsolved mysteries on the YouTube is much easier to fast forward than like on Prime or Hulu or whatever they're streaming on. Well, I'm going so that's my recommendation. to um, recommend a YouTube channel. I know roles are reversed here. Um, nice. I know Hellbent Holler, and they are out of the Carolinas, and it's a two-person research team that investigates all matters of high strangest strangeness in the southern Appalachians from the forest of the land between the lakes to the mountains of North Georgia. Hellbent Holler takes tech driven yet unconventional approach to exploring mysterious phenomena. I've never heard of them. I'll have to follow right now. They research Sasquatch, Dogman, anomalous lights and wilderness paranormal activity. The team consists of Joe, who has spent the last two decades looking into the existence of Bigfoot in the southern states, and Jesse Lee, a longtime researcher of the paranormal and the occult. Together, they make a dynamic duo. And it's pretty good. I actually saw them on Instagram. Um, I'm trying to pull up their Instagram handle, but I went ahead and followed them there, too. Uh, it is Hellbent Jesse at Hellbent Jesse, and that's Jesse J E S S I. So she's a she's a professed woods witch, monster hunter, and occult adventurer. I mean, you had me at you're in the Appalachians looking for Dogman Sasquatch, and it reaches to North Georgia. So I'm in. I'm in. I'm all in. I'm getting t-shirts. I'm getting it all. I'm getting stickers. But anyway, Hellbent Holler is the uh, YouTube channel, 
H O L L E R for our non Southern speakers. Hellbent all one word because that's not two separate words if you're from around here. But anyway, that's all I got. Slappy, you got anything else for the great boys and girls out there? You know I don't. Uh, deuces.